Once again, welcome to Harvest. My name is Pastor Micah. So glad you're here worshiping with us today. And um, we have a ton of work to do today in the scriptures. So we're going to jump right in. So grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Um, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know that's where we have been and we continue to be. That's kind of how we do it here at Harvest, kind of just walk through something like that, a verse or a chapter or a book, verse by verse, piece by piece. And uh, we've been in this Sermon on the Mount uh, where Jesus is giving this instruction to his disciples, this biggest, most in-depth piece of instruction, teaching us how do we be citizens of the kingdom of God? How do we follow Jesus and, and be faithful to him? And it started with this identity that we are children of God, right? That we are already his. We already, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been claimed by him and you have been given certain uh, rights and privileges and blessings from him. And then out of that identity as a child of God, we are to walk, to live, to follow Jesus a certain way. So he's been kind of been hitting some major topics the last couple weeks, right? About how we're supposed to be following him in in some important areas of our lives. And this week is no different than that. Um, This week I've entitled the message, Fight for Marriage. Um, But what we're really, Jesus is going to be talking about is divorce. And I don't think you can talk about that before you talk about marriage. Because obviously they go hand in hand and they got some important things to say to us. And so I want to start with just doing a little exercise this morning uh, for us. Um, Not yet. Everyone say not yet. Not yet. yet. But when I tell you to, I want you to raise your hand if any of the following statements apply to you. Okay? Not yet. Say not not yet. Okay. Raise your hand in a second when I tell you if you are divorced your parents are divorced, your grandparents are divorced, a close family member or friend is divorced, or you have been a part of a church where the pastor or one of the major leaders ended up getting divorced. Now, if any of those apply to you, raise your hands. Just take a look around the room real quick. Pretty much everyone. Are you, are you tracking with me this morning, right? So no matter how you're connected to this issue, we're all connected to this issue. Are you with me today, right? And this is going to be um, a, a difficult subject because it's a major issue in our lives. Either we're connected to it firsthand, we ourselves have been through divorce, either due to our own sinful choices or choices or maybe sinful choices of our spouse or previous spouse. Maybe it was something that was before salvation. Maybe it was after salvation. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent or a friend. Maybe it was through the church, unfortunately. It happens there too, where even pastors and leaders uh, choose to make mistakes and fall in this area. Maybe you was a part of a church where you grew up in a church and when they talked about this issue of divorce, uh, there was some bad teaching. And it was taught wrongly and it was taught that it was this unpardonable sin that if this was you, man, you were an outcast and there was no place for you anymore, right? Or maybe it was the other end of the spectrum where they didn't, didn't even talk about it at all. So there was no information given and you had no idea how to navigate this whole topic. And so there's a whole lot of stuff swirling around what we're going to be talking about this morning, and that is not lost on me. Okay, I just want you to know that before we get started. I understand this is a very complicated, difficult, emotional topic for many of us, myself included. So I want to start out by being very clear about something before we get into the technical part of God's Word. All right, 
Here's what I want you to hear first and foremost this morning. There is grace here. Can everybody just breathe for a second now, right? There is grace here, right? This is a place that God loves to to pour out his mercy and his grace on us no matter what situation we're walking in with this morning, no matter what your story is, he loves you and his only desire is to take you to a better place tomorrow than you were yesterday when it comes to following Jesus. That's what, he's, that's what he wants for you, right? That's what he, his desire is for you. And as I said earlier, divorce is not the unpardonable sin, right? We, that's not true. That's not in the Bible. Jesus cannot, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus can and will forgive any sin that we bring to him, right? There is nothing beyond the reach of our Savior. And the whole church said, amen, and thank you, God, right? Because we all have stuff we could put on that list. And I want you to know that there is hope beyond divorce, right? Divorce doesn't have to be the last chapter heading over your life, okay? There is something beyond that. If you've walked through this, if you've been in the situation, Jesus can redeem it, he can reconcile it, he can work in it, and he loves to do that because he never stops pursuing us no matter what we do or don't do, no matter where we go or how we rebel, Jesus never stops pursuing us and he, his heart's desire is that we never stop pursuing with that same love with which he pursues us and fights for us. And so here's the main idea this morning that we're going to look at in the scripture together. Following Christ means fighting for my spouse as hard as he fights for me. Following Christ means me fighting for my spouse, for my marriage as hard as Jesus fights for me, as hard as he pursues me, as hard as he comes after to love and reconcile and forgive and move towards me and my sinfulness and rebellion at times. So before we can jump into Matthew chapter five and look at Jesus' teaching specifically on the issue of divorce, first, I feel like we need to pull back and get the big view of what does the Bible say, what what does God say about divorce, but more importantly, about marriage. Can we start there this morning? So I'm going to give you several things along that with some scriptures here that will be on the screen for you. Here's your first point this morning. First point this morning is this. God hates divorce because he loves marriage. Now again, just breathe, okay? I'm sure for some of you that statement just hit really hard. But I want to show you why I'm saying this, and I hope that by the end of this it's actually going to be life-giving to you and not feel like a brick wall just fell on your soul, okay? Look at Malachi 2.16. He says here, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. It's pretty clear, right? But here's what I want you to see and understand as we walk through some more scriptures, is that although it is true that God hates divorce, he does not hate divorced people. That's a very, very important distinction as we start the talk this morning, okay? And sometimes that's hard for us to draw that line, and it's hard for us to figure out how does that work, and just believe me and hear me this morning as we walk through the scriptures that although God hates divorce, he does not hate divorced people. He loves them. 
the reasons that God hates divorce is because, first of all, divorce is a human institution, right? God did not create it. God did not design it. We created it. We created it in response to uh, us wanting to go a different way than what God's plan was for us in marriage. In fact, because God didn't create it, there's actually very little in the Bible about it. The Bible actually talks about divorce very little, and we're going to look at a few, the few scriptures that are in there in our time together today. But he doesn't talk about it because it's not his will. It's not his desire for us and for our marriage. It's not his best for us. And when the Bible does address it, it's usually addressing it in corrective instruction rather than instructive behavior. Okay? He's not saying do it this way, don't do it that way. He doesn't tell us how to divorce or how not to divorce. He tells us if it happens, here's how you deal with it. Okay? That's his main take on it. And what's interesting to me is as much as it hurts us to hear that statement that God hates divorce, it really shouldn't surprise us. Because I think if we're all honest in the room today, we hate it too, right? Like anybody who's been through it, anybody who's had friends or family go through it, we hate it too. Like, I don't know anybody's like, man, that was awesome. I'd love to do that again, right? Like, it hurts. There's pain in it. There's, there's devastation in it. It's not, a, it's not a good thing. In fact, I did some research this week on the cost of divorce, and this isn't even coming out of necessarily just God's word. This is coming out of mainstream psychology and sociology research, empirical data that says here's the effects of divorce on people as we've studied it over the last several decades. Many psychologists will tell you that divorce is actually worse than death many times. Because when someone dies, you're able to grieve that and then move on. But divorce just stays. It just hangs over us and it just continues to affect our hearts and our lives and our relationships day after day, week after week, year after year. And so here are some of the costs of it. First of all, there's a cost. There's a financial cost. Most people who experience or go through a divorce end up uh, with a 10 to 30% decrease in their standard of living after the divorce. Um, those who go through divorce have a significantly lower life expectancy than those who continue to stay married. In terms of health, uh, people who go through a divorce are more likely to die from smoking and cancer than those who stay married. Mental health has significant declines as well because oftentimes after divorce we think things are going to go away and get better but actually what we find is that anger and animosity just grows after divorce it doesn't get less because we have all these issues that are still unresolved and there's no hope of resolving them now because we're just moving on and it just continues to negatively impact our hearts and our minds and maybe worst of all one of the one of the biggest self costs of divorce is our relationship with our children even in the best case scenarios, oftentimes the relationship between the child and the parents are, is, is greatly strained, and in worst case scenarios, it becomes pretty much non-existent. There's also a cost to the kids that have to go through divorce. Academically, children of divorce have a higher level of behavioral problems at school. Their grades suffer, and they're less likely to graduate. Um, they are substantially more likely to be incarcerated than those children whose parents stayed together. They're five times more likely to live in poverty after divorce. 
They're more likely to get involved with drugs and alcohol and premarital sex that leads to poor choices and, and impacts their life long term. In terms of health, they're ill more frequently, they recover more slowly, and they're more likely to experience physical or other types of abuse. In terms of mental health, they suffer, they suffer psychological distress that oftentimes leaves emotional scars well into adulthood, and it colors their view of relationships. So when they start going and trying to create their own relationships and find their own mate, they oftentimes make bad choices in that. They will give up quickly on relationships when things aren't going their way, and many of them will never even get married at all because of the scars from their parents' divorce. And um, even those who are able to get married and have a family, the pain of divorce even carries into the next generation family because as they get together at holidays and birthdays and big events like graduations, there's this constant tension of trying to manage two families and two sides and juggle everybody and make everybody happy. And when we read that list, no wonder God hates divorce. Right? Maybe we should hate it a little more than we do because it hurts. There's a cost to it. But most of all, God hates divorce because, as I said earlier, God loves marriage. Right? That's what he designed. That's what he created, and he loves what it represents. Unlike divorce, the Bible has a whole lot to say about marriage. So let me give you some verses now to help with that. God instituted marriage in Genesis 1. 27 and 224 it says god created man in his own image the image of god he created him male and female he created them therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh this was god's design and in marriage god is actually the one who brings husband and wife or male and female together malachi 2 13 through 15 says this and the second thing you do you cover the lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why not? Here's the key. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Several reasons that God loves marriage. Number one, he loves it because he created it, right? It follows his design. This is what he knows is best for his people. He also loves it because as Malachi tells us here, it's protection. Marriage, when done God's way, actually protects the kids. It protects the spouse. It keeps things moving and it eventually creates what he describes here as godly offspring. Those who understand covenantal love because they've seen it in their own home between their own parents. But most of all, he loves it because, as I just said, it's a picture of his covenant love. This is the key, friends. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses like 22 through 32, I'm not going to take time to read that. But in that, in that scripture, God sets up this idea that the, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons he created marriage was to be a picture, to be a display for the world to see God's covenant love between him and his people, between Jesus and his church, right? And and as husband and wife come to love each other with that same type of love, all those around them get to see a little picture right here on earth of what it looks like for God to love his people. And so there's a whole 
lot more that goes into this. And when you think about how Christ loves us, he pursues us, he serves us, he reconciles us to himself, right? Even when I'm sinful, even when I rebel, even when I run away, even when I am unfaithful to him, he never stops. He never stops loving me. He never stops pursuing me. He never gives up on me. And he wants us to do the same thing with one another. You see, marriage is so much bigger than our individual lives and our own desires and our happiness. I know that the world tells us that marriage is all about just making yourself happy. But God says it's got a way bigger purpose than that. And because of all that, there's a whole lot more at stake in divorce than just your life and your personal relationships. Now, if you're here today and you're feeling a lot of guilt and shame and hurt because of how divorce has impacted your life, your family, I want you to know you're not alone. Um, Many of you know my story that at age seven, my parents were divorced as well. And so I've walked through this. I've lived through the effects. I've seen it in family. I've seen it in my life. And I know, and I can vouch firsthand, I can testify to many of the costs of divorce that we just read off earlier. In my life, in the life of my siblings, in the life of my parents, in the life of my own children, even to this day. When my parents divorced, our family's standard of living dropped dramatically. And there were at times where my, me and my sisters were living with my mom. She had no job, she, or she had, she had a job, but she didn't have a college education. She didn't have a career. And there were many times that we would have qualified as that poverty level family because of this. My own mental health suffered. My ability to attach and make healthy relationships suffered for many years as a result. My relationship with my parents is way better than most children of divorce. I actually have a pretty good relationship with both my parents, but even that is still strained at times. And there's still stress points in that relationship that tracks back to this. And I, and I see it in our family even now as adults with my own little kids that every time there's a birthday, every time there's a big production or a graduation or something, and everybody's trying to coordinate all these families and just the tension and the strife and the hardship of that, like it doesn't stop. So if you're feeling any of that, if you're feeling the weight of that, I understand and I'm feeling it with you. And I can sympathize with what you're going through, but in no way do I or this church, or the Lord want you to feel shame over that. Shame is not from the Lord. Shame is from Satan. And he loves to put that on us so that he can bog us down and weigh us down and we can't walk the way we need to walk with the Lord. Yes, sometimes the Lord lays conviction on us when there's something we need to repent of, and that's good and healthy and it moves us in the right direction. Shame is not the same thing. And so if you're feeling that today, I just, again, I just want to say to you, I'm going to say this several times this morning because you need to hear it over and over again, that the Lord loves you and he wants nothing more than to just pour out his mercy and his grace in your life and your heart this morning, no matter how you're coming into this issue and into this message.
And there's hope on the other side of divorce if you will turn to Jesus. And if you're in here today and you're in a tough marriage right now, and maybe you came in today thinking, I don't even know if we're going to make it next week. God says, stay in the fight. Stay in and fight for your marriage because the cost of divorce, as we have just seen, is so much higher. Most of the time, the cost of divorce is so much higher than the cost of staying and fighting for the marriage. Not always, but most often that's the case. God loves me, and he wants to protect my heart from the devastation of divorce through covenantal love. That's, that's the goal. That's his point this morning. He loves you, he loves me, and he wants to protect you from the devastation that comes as a result of divorce and let you experience that covenantal love that he's given you for your life, for your marriage, for your family. But sometimes it's hard, it's hard work. It takes fighting for what we know is best. So with that all in mind, let's move into Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse 31. It says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So let's just start here with point number two is this. Jesus explains divorce because he loves you. The reason Jesus is taking an opportunity here to explain to us what divorce is and how it works and how to move forward with this is because he loves you and he loves me and he wants to lead us in what is best. So he starts off and he says, it was also said, and he's used this kind of phrase a couple different times now, right? We've already seen this in the previous weeks. It was also, he's, he's pointing backwards to the Old Testament, to an Old Testament scripture here once again. So let me give you that scripture. It's Deuteronomy 24 verses one through four, which says this. Listen to this verse. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then... Her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for it is an abomination before the Lord, you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. The first thing you should notice about that scripture is all of the when, if, then language, right? This is a very situational verse and commandment. Do you, do you see that, right? Like this isn't like an overarching rule that God's giving about divorce. It's like, if this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens, then handle it this way, is what he's saying, right? So this was a, con a corrective verse, not necessarily an instructive verse. He's not saying, here's how you divorce someone, do it this way. He's saying, if you've already divorced, handle it this way. This is the best way to, to go about this situation. But many of the Jews in the time of Jesus had taken this verse and said, look, God says it's okay to divorce as long as we give them a certificate of divorce. That was their translation of this verse, right? Like, God's okay with it as long as we do that. And God's like, what? what? Did, you, did we just read the same verse? Like, I don't. So Jesus is like, 
That's not what it says, is what Jesus is saying here. You, you don't understand the scripture correctly. So he's going to correct their understanding. But the problem with this little couple of verses here is, in Matthew chapter 5, we only have two verses to work with, right? And a lot of times when we're dealing with scripture, when you only have one or two verses, you can't always get a full context and teaching of what is, the, what is God's will in terms of divorce. And so here's just a, a good Bible study principle for you. When you're studying God's word, here's something that you need to know. You always want to use more clear scripture to understand less clear scripture, right? All of God's word is true. Not all of it is equally clear, right? So sometimes if I got two little verses, I'm like, I don't know exactly what that means. Well, I need to go find some other scripture that helps me better understand what these two little verses mean. Thankfully, Jesus gives us a whole robust teaching on divorce in Matthew 19. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over a couple pages to the right. We're going to Matthew 19, and we're going to start in verse 3, and let's see what happens here. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So they just ask, when is it okay for us to get divorced? And Jesus said, haven't you read? God said, stay married. They're like, Jesus, you didn't really answer the question. Um, and so then they go on and they say, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So here Jesus takes a bigger chunk and tells us more of what he's trying to say. And there's actually two more passages in Mark and Luke, Mark 10, 2 through 12, and Luke 16 through 18. We're not going to turn there because it's basically just uh, the same thing that he's saying here in Matthew 19. It's the same story, just a shorter version um, of the same idea. But if you want to look at that later, you can. It does have some good language in those other ones that points out to us, in case you were just wondering, this isn't just about men divorcing women. This is also about women divorcing men, okay? It goes both ways, as the other scriptures make clear. But in this 19, the Pharisees said, it says they came to Jesus. So the whole purpose of this, it really has nothing to do with divorce. It's the Pharisees trying to figure out how they can catch Jesus in something, right? They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to give him like this hard question that's going to make him, you know, say something that they can like, oh, see, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's a false teacher and, and just kind of condemn Jesus with that stuff. And so that's their whole goal. But they come up and they say, um, is it lawful to divorce for any cause? So what they're doing here is they're asking Jesus to clarify and give his opinion on this debate that was going on between several Jewish rabbis at that time. So there was three different opinions among the Jewish rabbis, the teachers of the law, of when it was okay or not okay to get a divorce. So the first one, you had the Qumran community, which basically said, never get a divorce, not allowed, no matter what happens, period, you have to stay married. That was one teaching. The second one was from a guy named Shammai, and his teaching was divorce is only okay if there's sexual immorality in the marriage, all right? Adultery or something like that happens, then it's okay. That's the only reason, right? The third guy, his name was Hillel, his teaching was you can get divorced for any time, any reason you want. Like, whatever, 
whatever your thing is, like if you, need, if you want to get divorced, that's fine. You know, the wife burns the food or you like another lady and she looks a little better to you, then that's fine. Just go ahead and get divorced. Those were literal examples in his teaching. So you can see there's a big disparity here, right? And so they're like, Jesus, which one's right? Like which guy has it, has it right? And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't uh, really agree with any of them. Um, and so they, then they respond, they're like, but Moses said, he told us to give a certificate of divorce, and then we're okay. And Jesus says, actually, first of all, he didn't command you to do anything. He allowed you, it's an important change there in the wording. He allowed you to get divorced because of the hardness of your heart. Because you came to a point where you were so set on rebelling against God's plan for marriage, he finally said, fine, I'll give you an option out. He says, but from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, that was not God's original plan. And oh, by the way, uh, if you forgot, Moses also wrote Genesis that has all this in there. So if you're trying to pull the Moses card, you're coming late to the game, right? Like anytime you try to like be smarter than Jesus, that never goes well, just, just so you know. So like I would probably stay away from that. And then he goes on in both Matthew 5 and 19, he says, but I say to you, Matthew 5 or Matthew 19, he says, have you not read, right? So again, Jesus is changing the starting point here. He's changing the question, right? Think about their question. It's kind of ludicrous, right? Like they're like, all right, Jesus, what's, what's the minimum thing that has to happen where God's okay for me to ditch my wife? That, that's what they're asking Jesus at this point. Like, like where's, where's that minimum line where I can get out of this thing? And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, how can my marriage most honor God? As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, that's the first question we need to be asking. How can my marriage most honor God? So he says, haven't you read? He created them, male and female, and they're supposed to leave their, hus- they're supposed to leave their parents and hold fast to their husband and wife and become one flesh. And like, This was God's design, right? He created man and woman. He brought them together as a picture of the gospel, as a picture of that covenant love. He says you're supposed to leave your, your parents, your, your most important earthly relationship up to this point. Leave that and start a new relationship over here and cleave together, some of your translations would say. The, the Hebrew there actually means that when, they, when the two come together as one, it's the idea of gluing two things together or welding two things together, like in a permanent bond, that two should be one. That's God's plan. But the problem is that many of us, when we come into marriage, come into it with this idea that I'm single and I have all this freedom and I have all this stuff going on in my life and it's going really well and I don't really want to give that up, right? Like I don't want to give up all my, all my sports stuff and I don't want to give up my time for this and my time for that and I don't want to combine our finances and give up my money. Like I want to kind of keep, I just want to have this person with me and like be together and, and have their companionship but I still want to be me. And so what ends up happening is you have two people who start putting their lives together And they do this thing called marriage, but because I'm still trying to keep my stuff separate and keep my singleness intact in the midst of my marriage, they don't actually become one. They just become two people living next to each other in marriage. You see that? And when it's like this, it's very easy then to separate 
one from another. Are you tracking with me this morning? When we walk in like that, it's a problem. But what God says, he's like, no, no, no. It's supposed to be two becoming one flesh that when they join together, it literally becomes one new substance that is completely indiscriminate of one another and really at this point can no longer be separated. Do you see the difference? When our starting point is this, divorce comes easy. When our starting point is this, it becomes very, very difficult. So Jesus says this is the starting point, not this. You're asking the wrong question. So with that in mind, he then goes on and he says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. He's saying marriage is God's handiwork. He's the one who brings the two people together, right? Not the minister, not the justice of the peace, not your crazy college roommate who got the license on the internet, right? Like that's not the person who's actually marrying the two people together. It's God that's bringing them together and making them one, supernaturally binding their souls together. We talked about that last week, right? The mingling of souls. Therefore, if that's true, what right does any man have to stop the covenant that God put together? That's Jesus' point. However, in both passages, 5 and 19, he uses this one really important word, except. Did you notice that in both passages? His overall all teaching is don't get divorced. Stay married. Except... In both passages, he gives one exception, the same exception in both places. And in the Greek, the word is porneia. And it means sexual immorality. It's this, it's this category that kind of encompasses all types of sexual immorality. But obviously, in context here, he's talking about sexual immorality, not just in general, but specifically within marriage, right? That when, it, when this happens, when there's adultery or some type of sexual immorality within the marriage covenant... He said that is one exception where divorce is allowed because it already violates the two become flesh. What's interesting is, is the Mark and the Luke passages that don't, that, that are you know, like synopsises of this Matthew 19 passage don't include the exceptions. Neither one of those passages have the exception clause in them. And that's because it was already so well assumed in the culture that no matter what your view was, everybody pretty much agreed that if there was sexual immorality, then you were, you were, you were okay. You could, it was allowed. That, that was a, kind of a given. It's kind of like when you're at like the restaurant or at school and they're like, no one uses the fire exit, right? And they don't have to say, except when there's a fire fire. Like, everybody knows that, right? Like, like, you know that they mean, like, right now. They don't have to tell you the exception is if there's a fire, use the fire exit. So Mark and Luke aren't making the exception obvious like Matthew is here. But he's doing it for a purpose. Jesus is saying, there's one allowance here. But, interestingly enough, there's another place in the Bible where we find a second exception. So, 
on the screen, I'll put this up here for you. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 15. Let's read this here. It says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, not I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So here, Paul lays out a second exception. And some people struggle with this because they're like, well, if there was really two exceptions, why didn't Jesus say this one in the first place? Like, why does Paul have to bring it up after the fact, right? Because if Jesus would have told all the Jewish people, hey, if there's a Christian and a non-Christian who are together and one wants to leave, like, it's okay, they'd be like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, there were no Christians yet. (laughs) There was no Christianity yet. There was no church yet. Like, it would have been completely out of context and made no sense to the audience of Matthew 19. So once there is uh, 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 Christians and church and all kinds of stuff, now Paul is able to explain, all right, here's the second reason why God would allow this to happen. But notice he still says, to start off with, to the married, I say, stay married. Right? Like that's the general teaching. And then one of them raised their hand in the back, like, hey, Paul, hold on. What, what if our spouse is an unbeliever? Right? Like, what if I'm married to somebody who doesn't love Jesus? He says, well, if, if they'll stay with you, then stay. Right? Because they become holy and the kids become holy in the marriage. When he says holy, it doesn't mean sinless. He doesn't mean perfect or saved. He means because they're under the influence of you who has Jesus, they are now set apart unto the Lord because they're going to be experiencing the gospel through your life. And they have a better chance of coming to Jesus as a result of your holy living in front of them. And so he says, if they'll stay, then stay. But if they, you're free to go. You're not enslaved, he says, to try to make the relationship work and try to, 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 to keep it on the rails and all that kind of like, then you're free. So at this point, we have two exceptions. Sexual immorality and an unbelieving spouse choosing to leave. And if you're like many people in our world today, you would say, Micah, I hear that, but surely, surely there are some other exceptions, right? Like, what if my spouse is addicted to pornography? What if, what if my spouse has a drug or an alcohol problem? What if they have a, a money problem where they're gambling or they're overspending constantly? What if, what if uh, they commit a crime and they end up in in prison for the rest of their life, and I don't, can't be with them, or what if they're abusing me? What if they're abusing the kids? Like, surely there's some other exceptions. Please hear my heart and listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I know all of those seem like major, unbearable hardships in life, but none of those are listed explicitly in the Bible. And it's not like God just forgot to put them in there. You, you understand that, right? Like, he didn't make a mistake. And he's like, oh, man, I wish we would put that. I need to go back and do a revision. Like, God doesn't do that. In 2 Peter 1, it says that the Bible 
in the Bible that God has given us all, everything that we need for life and godliness, to be able to follow Jesus Christ. He, he doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but he does tell us everything that we need to know. And so those aren't exceptions that are given to allow a divorce. So Micah, are you saying that if someone is in an abusive relationship, that they have to stay and keep abused? Absolutely not. Please, please hear me. Absolutely not. God's purpose for marriage is to love and protect, not to harm. So if you are here today or you know someone who is in an abusive relationship, here's what you need to do. Here's what the Lord would have you do. Number one, get out. Leave. Get as far away from that person as you can and immediately call the police and take whatever legal action you have to take to protect yourself and to protect your kids. And then the third thing you need to do is call the church and call the church leadership so that we can try to step in and help and, and bring some remedy here. If the, a spouse who is being abusive is a believer, then as you leave and as we press on them, the Holy Spirit is going to break them and bring them to repentance. And over a long period of time, not a short, I'm not talking a couple of weeks here, over a long period of time, as the Spirit changes their heart and they change their behaviors down the road, there will be hope that the marriage can be reconciled and can go forward and give glory to God. But if you leave and we press in and the spouse is unrepentant, all that shows is that no matter what they said or thought, that they aren't truly a believer of Jesus Christ. And if that is true, it will not be long with you being gone before they violate one of the two exceptions we just talked about. And then you'll be free to leave. not telling you to stay in an abusive relationship. Please do not hear what I'm not saying, okay? But I am saying that God wants us to fight for our marriages. That is the overarching command. So please, in all this technical discussion, this has been a lot of technical discussion this morning about divorce and what the Bible teaches, please do not lose Jesus' message in the midst of all that, right? Which is, Divorce is a last resort. Sometimes it has to happen, but it should always be a last resort for us as followers of Jesus Christ. The first thing we have to do as Christians is to pursue and to seek to forgive and to seek reconciliation. And then if that can't happen, and the spouse continues in perpetual, unrepentant sin in one of these two areas, then Jesus says, okay, last resort, it's allowed. Here's what I realized this week when I was working. Most marriages end not because of the offense, but because of unforgiveness. Most marriages in this world, Christian or non-Christian, doesn't even matter, most of them end not because of what was done, not because of the sin, not because of the offense, not because of the issue. They end because the two spouses are not willing to come to a place where they are willing to forgive one another for the wrong that has been done. 
And Jesus calls us to do that. So there's one more question that we have to address real briefly, and then we'll kind of start moving to the close. Because Jesus addresses it here in the scripture. So if Jesus talks about it, we got to talk about it, right? The last question is this. Can a divorced Christian marry again? Can a divorced Christian marry again? And there's several different scenarios that have different answers. So I'm going to try to explain those now. The first scenario is this. I'm going to call it divorce without permission. Right? If, if you uh, chose to go through with a divorce that was outside of the two exceptions that Jesus has laid out, okay, then no, God would not say you are allowed to marry again. Because as Jesus explains here in these passages, he says to, to go and marry someone else and to more so to consummate that marriage with someone else would then be adultery against your first spouse because although the state gave you a paper that says you're divorced, in God's eyes, you're still married because one of the exceptions has not been met yet. And so for you to go and to remarry at that point would be to commit adultery with that new spouse against your old spouse. Okay? God would say to you, if it was not for one of those exceptions, what you should do is to, to go back and try to reconcile with that previous spouse. Second scenario, if it was divorced with permission, right? It was divorced based on one of these grounds that we've already talked about, either sexual immorality or the unbelieving spouse leaving. If one of those two things happened, then yes, you are free to remarry, okay? Because the original marriage covenant has already been broken by one of those two exceptions, whichever one it was, right? And so now you are free then to remarry if uh, God leads you to do so. But again, he would ask and he would um, press you to first try to forgive, try to reconcile, try to fix the relationship before automatically opting for divorce, even though you have the allowance with the exception. The third scenario would be, or the third question I get sometimes is, what if, what if the divorce was before my salvation, right? What if it happened before I was a Christian, before I knew Jesus, before I believed in the Bible? I didn't know what I was doing. It was pre-salvation. What then? Well, the interesting thing about marriage is it's actually a universal institution. When God created marriage and gave it to us, he didn't just give it to Christians. He gave it to all human beings, right? And so the same rules and exceptions actually apply to non-Christians and Christians, whether they know it or not or believe it or not. And so the divorce prior to salvation still lands on the same grounds and it would still have the same answers, yes or no, depending on the permission or not permission issue. And you're like, but when I got saved, Mike, you know, God washed away my sins and I'm clean and I was forgiven and all that is absolutely true. Salvation does wash away our sins and he cleans us and he forgives us, but it does not always remove the consequences of our sin. And so if that's your scenario and it was before salvation and now you're trying to figure out what to do, if you're still single and they're still single, maybe you need to try to go reconcile. Right? Maybe you need to give that an attempt. Maybe you just need, if it was with, with the permission because adultery or something happened, then maybe it's just a matter of repentance. Just repenting before the Lord and asking for forgiveness and then moving on. So then the final part of that would be, okay, so... Mike, I hear what you're saying. I'm a Christian, and I'm married again. I've married a second time already. Um, and so, so now what do I do, right? 
Um, was it adultery? Well, again, if it was without permission, yes. Jesus would say that that first instance was adultery. But here's the key, and this is where some churches get it wrong. Please listen. Once you remarry, it does not mean that you are living in continuous adultery. Okay? Was the initial relationship adulterous? Yes. If, you did, if there wasn't something that broke the first marriage covenant, but then that broke it. Okay? And at that point, it's broke, and now you're in a new marriage covenant, and God would say to you, now you need to repent for what happened and move forward with grace and use this new marriage to honor and glorify the Lord to the best of your ability. Do not, I've had people ask me, should I, get, now should I divorce my second spouse because it was adult? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, okay? Do not go for number two, okay? We're not trying to up the ante here, all right? God would say stay, repent of what you need to repent of, to him, to your previous spouse, to your current spouse, whatever that looks like, and now use the marriage that you've been given to honor and glorify God to the best of your ability. Okay, are we tracking today? I feel like this is like a seminary class more than a, than a message this morning, but we need to know what God's word says, amen? So as I was working on all this this week, I was just thinking about this in our culture, and so I just did a little experiment. I Googled divorce. It's always dangerous when you Google stuff, right? Um, so I just, just put the word divorce and just hit send. I, w- I wanna read you some of the top entries in the search results. First one said, Missouri divorce online, $139, ready to file in 15 minutes. Second entry, easy online divorce, $159, featured on Fox, ABC, and NBC. Another entry said, divorce, an HBO series, a comedy about divorce. So now it's good for... TV humor. Another one, I thought this one was especially disturbing. Healthy divorce. How to make your split as smooth as possible. This is a lot of the way that our world looks at it today. That it's just kind of a part of life, and if it happens, it happens, and just do the best with it that you can and move on. And the problem with this is it's the same, they're selling you the same lie over and over again, that divorce will be easier, right? That, that, that you just, just quit, just get out and move on. You deserve to be happy. You don't deserve this. It's not right. Just, just get out and move on. It'll be easier on the other side. That's almost never true. Ask anybody who's went through it, parents or kids. It's not easier. Most of the time, it's not better. There's a few rare instances where the situation is so untenable in the home that it's better, but that's far and few between. The real hope, the real joy, the real happiness is not gonna be found in the next person or the next thing or the grass is greener on the other side. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Okay? And so Jesus says, stay and fight and work and let me make this great instead of going and trying to find something great over there that you're not going to find. 
Jesus loves me enough to help me fight against the pain of divorce and to give me grace when it can't be avoided. That's what he's saying here. His, his goal is to help me fight against this so that I can continue to walk and experience covenantal love in my marriage. But when I can't, when it, when it comes to the point where I've tried everything there is to try and it just isn't going to happen, he says there's still grace for that. I still love you. So last point this morning, and we're going to pull it to a close here. You need to fight for marriage because you love Jesus. Don't just fight because for the kids. Don't just fight because it's going to cost less money or make it easier on you or whatever the thing is. As Christians, we fight for marriage, not for us, but because we love Jesus and this is what he's called us to. And he, we trust him that this is what is best for our lives. So what does this mean for me? What's this mean in my life, Mike? Like, I really need like, some clear, just cut application here. Let me see if I can help with that. Many in our society argue that what we're hearing today, what Jesus is teaching us today, isn't realistic anymore. Right? Like, there's just, it's just not realistic for that to even be a thing. Like, to be with same one person forever, like, that's just not a... A deal. In fact, if you, they would say, well, you can even look at the statistics, right? The, the divorce rate in, among Christians is the same as the divorce rate among non-Christians. And that's actually not true. If you go back and you dig into that research study, what they did was they labeled anybody Christian who marked a box that said they have religious affiliation. Okay? There was actually later another research study done that compared active Christians, those who were actually following after Jesus and attending church and making some effort in their faith, that they are, have a 27 to 50% less chance of getting divorced than those who have no faith at all. And, interestingly enough, they also found that those who were nominal Christians, those who claimed to be Christians, those who went to church occasionally but weren't really trying to follow Jesus, actually had a, uh, let me get the number right here. Where's that at? 20% higher divorce rate than those who had no faith at all, or claimed no faith at all. So you know what that tells me? That if I'm trying to make my marriage work based on my own efforts or some religious protocol, it's doomed to fail. But if I have Jesus, if I'm following after him, if I'm pursuing him, if I'm looking at all of it through his lens, then there's hope then there's a future that can look different than all this other stuff. And so here's how I would encourage, here's how Jesus, I believe, would encourage you to apply this to your life today. I've come up with five situations here that I get, I'm pretty sure every one of us is in one of the five, if not maybe more than one of the five. Number one, what about my situation? Number one, what if I'm divorced with permission? Okay. What if I went through a divorce, but it was based on one of the two exceptions that Jesus and Paul gave, then what does this mean for me? First thing I would say is this, embrace grace. Embrace grace and reject whatever shame that Satan is trying to put on you right now. Right? And run to Jesus and let him fill you with his mercy and his love. Second thing I would say is if you're single still, if you haven't remarried and they haven't remarried, consider seeking reconciliation. If there's any chance that you can get the marriage back together, man, that would honor God so much. 
go for that. If that's not an option, if one of you is already remarried or whatever, just go forward with your life. If you're married again, honor God in your new marriage and glorify him and follow the teaching that he's given us here today. Second scenario, divorce without permission. Let's say that you got divorced at some point in your past and it wasn't for one of the two exceptions that we just talked about. What do you do then? The first thing you need to do is repent. Not to me, not to some other person at first. First you need to go to the Lord, right? And ask for forgiveness and admit what was wrong and let him forgive and again, just embrace his grace and let that shame slide away. And then, if you need to repent to the Lord, repent to others, ex-spouse, current spouse. If you're still single, again, go seek reconciliation with that original spouse, if that's at all possible. If it's not possible, they've remarried, you've remarried, whatever, then again, once you repent, move forward in the grace of the Lord and honor him with your new marriage, okay, to the best of your ability. Third scenario, what if I'm separated? We haven't got divorced yet, but me and my spouse are separated and things aren't going well and I don't know if this is gonna work. First thing you need to do, pray and humble yourself before the Lord. Like, just get as low as you can. Own whatever you can own on your side of the issues and ask him to, to work and repent where necessary and then seek to reconcile with that spouse and pray over them diligently that God would work on both sides to bring reconciliation. And then fight for your marriage. Fight, fight, fight for your marriage. There's still hope. There's still hope. What if you're in the room and you're married right now? First marriage, second marriage, whatever, doesn't matter. If you're married right now, what do you do? Number one, keep your heart soft and humble and repentant before God and your spouse. Most of the time, the way couples get there is that doesn't happen. We don't stay prayerful and humble and repentant on both sides to keep it going. The second thing I would say to married couples is take divorce off the table. Like just take the word completely out of your vocabulary. Don't allow, when Courtney and I got, we're getting ready to get married, we were talking about this and we were engaged. I sat her down and said, hey, we've got to have a conversation. I've lived through that as a child. I lived through that divorce thing and I am not doing that again. Right, like, so if we get married, you just have to know, like this is for a lifetime. We're not getting divorced. We're not gonna joke about it. We don't use the word in our house. We don't joke about it. We don't, we don't threaten it. Because once you say that, you cannot take it back, right? So I was like, listen, we're not getting divorced, okay? Murder, maybe, divorce, no. Like that's just not gonna happen here. So, so we were in agreement on that. And I would encourage you married couples to have that conversation if you haven't. Just be like, listen, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, it's not an option. I don't care what happens. I don't care what comes. We love Jesus, we'll get through it. Divorce is not an option. You need to have that assurance from one another and then stay in the fight. Stay in it. Lastly, if you're here today and you're single, what can you do with everything that you've heard today? Number one, I would just say, take covenant seriously. When we talk about covenant love from God, 
like take that seriously and learn what that means and what that looks like. Learn from God and your relationship with him. Learn from other Christian couples and other Christian, Christian people, not even couples, but just Christian people around you, what it looks like to give and receive covenant love and start practicing that now, right? Our church family should be a place where we can practice that together. In our small groups, in our time together, we should be loving one another, pursuing one another, and doing life like Jesus does with us. And you practice now in waiting for the day that God might bring you a spouse where you can experience covenant love with them. So whichever scenario you're in there, I hope that helps you get some application today. And I'm just going to be honest with you, man. Across this room, across our church, we have couples in every single one of these scenarios, right? Every single one of them. Just this week, I was sitting and listening to a couple share. I was so blessed to hear them share how, you know, not too long ago, they went through a scenario where they, were, they, they could have got a divorce. They could have been allowed a divorce based on the exceptions we just talked about. And they were sharing how they were so happy and so glad that through the encouragement of other Christians, that they stuck it out. That they stayed in and they worked through it. It was a long, hard road and it's not done yet. And there's lots of forgiveness and there's lots of patience and there's lots of work that goes into it, but they're sticking with it and they're already starting to see fruit of their marriage being healed and their lives growing back with Jesus. And like, this is what happens when we follow God's law, when we follow his word. And there could be multiple people in this room who have similar testimonies that could share that today. Stay in the fight. Fight for your marriage so you can experience and share the covenantal love of God. Fight for your marriage so you can share and experience the covenantal love of God. I said at the beginning, following Christ means fighting for my spouse as hard as he fights for me. That's what he's calling us to here. And I know that statement and this whole message probably has stirred up tons of different emotions in this room right now. Totally get that. Some of you are fighting back shame and guilt from past decisions. And again, I would say you just run to the Lord, run to his grace right now. Pray, confess, repent, just humble yourselves, receive his grace, whatever that looks like for you. Some of you are fighting fear right now about your current marriage or about your future possible marriage and you're not sure you have what it takes to get it to the finish line. I'm just gonna be honest with you this morning, you don't. You don't have what it takes, not by yourself. We need Jesus to help us, to lead us in this. With him, you can do it. You can pursue him and grow in covenant love for your spouse. And some of you here are here today and you are at your wit's end. Like you came in today and your marriage is on fire right now. And it is burning to the ground around you and you don't see any way forward and you're ready to just cut the cord and get out. And I would encourage you, stay. Stay and fight and keep going. Jesus can do it. There is hope on the other side. I promise you, there is. Stay. So here's how we're going to end today. I'm going to pray in a second, and the band's going to lead us in a song of response. But that's all going to be background to what I want to happen in this room right now. This is a time for you to seek the Lord.
to pray, to experience the grace for shame of past, for the hurts of the present, for the fears of the future, whatever your thing is, this is a moment for you to talk to the Lord and let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart. And me and Courtney are gonna be up here and some, one of our elders and his wife are gonna be up here. And I'm gonna encourage you that if you're struggling with any of this today that we just talked about, I would encourage you that as I pray and as we sing, grab your spouse's hand, or if you're single, come by yourself, slide out, come down here, get prayed for. Just let us pray over you. Let's just pray over you, please, that God would work and move. If you need resources, if you need counseling, we can talk about that later. We'll be happy to help you with that. But this is a good starting point. Come and let God's grace pour over your life through the prayers of his people. So we're gonna be available up here. I'm gonna pray, they're gonna sing, and then you're gonna do whatever you need to do to meet with the Lord right now. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much. Thank you, God, that you love us, that your mercy and that your grace abounds to us, Lord God, and that we don't have to leave this place broken and hurt and shameful and guilty, Lord. We can leave filled with your Holy Spirit and covered in the love and the grace of our Heavenly Father. Lord, make it so, make it so right now, right here, move in the hearts of these people. Give us a passion for you and the best that you have for us moving forward. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.